Okay, so last week um, I started a new series called Our Culture, and what we're doing is we're breaking down um, the City Lights Church core values. And um, the, reason why, the reason why I feel like it's a good time to do this, um, if you've gone through our Belong class, you've heard our core values, um, but I, the, we want to go in like a greater detail and a greater depth with them. And the reason why I feel like this is a good time is we're prayer walking our city. We're trying to cover every street, every avenue in the city. And by the way, if you can't make it to one of the corporate prayer walks, you can, you can prayer walk by yourself. But just make sure you highlight that after you do it because we want to cover this entire city with prayer. And we're kind of doing this as a ramp up into the fall. Churches tend to see a swell of attendance in the fall. People get back in the routines of life and that kind of stuff. So as we're prayer walking the city, as we're leading the ramp up uh, to the fall, we want to be um, an evangelistic church. Like I want City Light Church to be a light, but an evangelistic church. And so as we're doing that, um, I think it'd be really awesome for all of us to kind of understand what are the core values of City Light Church? Like why do we exist? Why are we here? What are, what is our, our, you know, core operating system as a church? So by the way, um, I think we have them on, on the way out, but if you like Sometimes you meet someone, and you're like, you should come to my church. And they're like, where is it? And you can't really remember the time, the, the website. We have some business cards that are out there. And if you want to take a couple of those, and if you leave a good tip, you know, you could leave the card there. If you leave a pitiful tip, please don't leave the card. You know, <laughs> give us a bad name. But uh, if you leave a good tip, you know, you leave that on the table. Or if you're talking to someone, and uh, it has a website on there, service times, that kind of stuff. So those are out in the foyer. Um, we, we just had some people ask for those, so we made those available to you. But... Um, so core values, um, A.W. Tozer said, I said this last week, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think the people here in this room and the people that are in the churches in this city probably have a more accurate view and version of what God is like than, than the rest of the world, right? But even, I would say even us here in this room, when we all, you know, we all think about God, we all have probably a slightly different version of who God is and what God is like. And so part of our goal here going through these core values is to, to um, solidify what, what God is like and, and what are the core values of this church are and how are we operating out of. Our prayer is that these core values are reflect in the way we think, act, and engage our world. So are you guys ready to do some core work? We're going to do some core work. We're going to work our core. Okay, good. All right, so uh, a quick review. I want to just talk about um, last week what we covered real fast. Um, our first um, core value is our premier value, which is we love God passionately. It's our premier value to love God passionately and encounter his presence through praise and worship. Um, why is this our premier value? Well, I'm not going to go into all the why. I talked about that last week, but there's a podcast available if you missed that um, sermon. Why is this our premier value? Why is this the most important thing to us? Um, and in a nutshell, we talked about this. There are many things in life that you can chase after. A lot of things you can go for. A lot of good things, actually, you can go for. But there's really one thing that is the most important. And if you don't go after that one thing, which is a relationship with Jesus and knowing him and having that personal intimacy with him, you are falling short of what I call the ultimate summit. That is the ultimate summit in life is to know Jesus, have a personal relationship with him, have a love connection with him. Why? Because you were made for it. That's why you were created. If you didn't know why you were created, there you go. You were created to connect with your creator. So um, I talked about last week, I'll just reiterate this real quick, um, false summits. There are many false summits. There's one true summit, which is pure relationship with Jesus. There are many false summits. And again, I talked about how 
many times these are good things that we go after. We think this is the pinnacle, this is the highest thing. Um, go ahead and put up that first picture if you have it, JD. All right, this is a picture of Long's Peak from Mount Maker. I, um, I showed this last week, but if you think to yourself, how do I get to the top of Long's Peak from Mount Maker? You think, that's the, that's the best way, right? That's how I get to the summit. That's how I get to the highest place. Many times we go through life and we're like, I know what the highest place is. I know what the, the pinnacle of life is going to be. And then we set out for that and we realize that that thing we were chasing after, that if I could just get there, if I could just get that, that thing will make me happy. We, many times we find out that wasn't the ultimate summit. That didn't bring ultimate satisfaction to my life. So go ahead and go to the next picture. And that's the route that I just showed you. That would not get to the summit, right? <laughs> there is a gigantic false summit there. Not only a false summit, but like a giant drop, okay? And this is what it's like. I feel like I, there's a generation of people chasing after things that are going to make them happy. This is it. This is going to make me happy. And I'm like, no, it's not going to make you happy. It's a false summit, right? And um, go ahead and go to the last picture. Um, this is actually the correct route if you're on Mount Meeker. There's a way um, to get there without going to the false summit. And this is, this is like what it is with our relationship with God. The Bible outlines a way for us to actually be happy, a way for us to reach the pinnacle of what God has for us in our lives. And it's not necessarily what we think is the straightest route, the most direct route. It's actually sometimes a little roundabout, right? But it is what will satisfy your heart. And I want you guys to have satisfaction in your heart because you were created to connect with your creator. So that's what we talked about last week. That's my quick review. Um, so um, let me go through our core values real quick, and then we'll hone in on what we're going to talk about today. Number, our second core value, uh, we are a family. Number three, we honor people. Number four, God is good. This is a, um, a cornerstone of our theology here. Number five, anything is possible. Number six, we rest in the finished work of the cross. Number seven, we live generously. Number eight, we serve wholeheartedly. Number nine, we value the family of Christ. We're not in a competition with other churches. We're co-laborers with them. Number 10, we will go. We will shine the love of Jesus everywhere we go. Amen? Okay, so today we want to hone in on core value uh, number two and talk about family. Not just family, healthy family, <laughs> right? Some of you are part of dysfunctional family. You've been there, seen that, right? But we want to talk about what it means to have healthy family. And by healthy family, I mean healthy church family, okay? And so we are a family. We find belonging and well-being in authentic community. Keyword is authentic here. The title of my message today is authentic. What does this mean to us and why? Why is this so important? Why do you absolutely need an authentic church family? In a way, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. You have a church family. But listen, many, many times in life, we lose sight of why we need an authentic church family. Um, so we're going to hone in on this need and talk about authentic community. Um, th this is a little cliche, and last week I said this. Um, it's a little cliche, but there really is a God-shaped hole in every human's heart, right? I won't go into why that is, but there is. There's a God-shaped hole in every human's heart. There's a place that was intended for God to fill in for no one else. Again, we talked about that last week. But having said that, um, I need to say that there is, there's, a, there's, a, there's a need for divine connection in every human's heart, but there's also a place um, and a need for human connection in every human's heart, okay? So we, the, there's a divine need for connection with God, and there's a need that God has placed in there for us to connect with other people, okay? Um, I was, uh, Friday, I was down in Boulder, 
and I need to get a new phone, or I'm sorry, not a new phone, I need to get a new battery for my phone. My phone was failing, so I made an appointment with the Apple store. It's two o'clock, I go in, here's my phone, I need a new battery. And I'm thinking, they're gonna just, here's your battery, you know, here's your new phone, here's your battery, and send me out the door. They're like, thanks for setting the appointment, we'll take the phone, it'll be two hours to get your new battery. I'm thinking to myself, remember the days where you like had the old flip phones, you could just, I could change a battery in 30 seconds, like it's so complicated, now it's gonna take you two hours, like can I go back and do it? I don't, just show me how to do it, you know? So I have two hours to kill, so I, I go to a coffee shop, nearby to work on this message actually and I'm thinking about um, this message and how we're created for divine connection we're created for human connection I have this thought if you or I you were trapped on a remote island for like five years you didn't see one person and you didn't talk to one person and I'm in this coffee shop and there's like complete strangers if, if that person that I don't know over there or that person over there was the first person I saw in five years or talked to or saw in five years can you imagine what the response would be like? You'd be so, you'd want to just grab them and be like, you're a human, you know? You, you would, I don't know, I would want to, honestly, I'd want to hug them. Like, this is the first person I saw or heard from in five years. And like, why is that? Like, have you guys ever seen the movie Interstellar? It's a good, if you haven't seen the movie Interstellar. Great movie, by the way. But there's a scene in it where, where Matthew, uh, Matthew Damon is, he's in this, um, no, um, Matt Damon. He's in the movie. Matthew McConaughey is the main character. All right, all right, all right. That's the guy. <laughs> but Matt Damon, right? The Born Identity guy, right? Yeah, okay. He's, he's not, the, <laughs> not the host. Right, okay. Anyway, we'll keep plowing, plowing forward. <laughs> is it Matthew Damon? He's like, I keep getting older, but they stay the same age. Or is that a different That stays and confused. Okay. I thought that was that Matthew. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, this is good. Write that down. Anyway, uh, Matt Damon is like in this deep sleep, right? He, he was stranded on this remote um, moon ice world and they, they wake him up and he was not set to wake up anymore. He hadn't seen anyone. He says this in the movie. It's, it's really powerful. He says, pray that you never learn just how good it can be to see another face. Like he wakes up and starts crying when he sees people. Like there's something to that. Why, why is that? If we go that kind of time difference without seeing someone, it would mean so much for us just to have a conversation with another person. Some of you uh, mothers who stay at home with kids all day and don't get to talk to anyone know what I'm talking about. It's like, I just want adult conversation, you know. But this highlights a need, an actual need that we have. Again, there's a, there's a, there's a need for divine connection. There's a need for, only, for human connection. God has actually set it up that we need human connection. We don't tend to feel that every day because we see people every day. We're connected to, we're just in a world with people every day. But it's important that we recognize this need because what happens if you ignore a need? If you ignore the need to eat food or drink water or get sleep, like you will find out very quickly something is wrong. You are ignoring something that God placed in you. So many times what happens, we have a need, but if we go after it in unhealthy ways, it manifests unhealthy things in our lives. But if we recognize this is something I've been created for, this is a need that I have, and there's a healthy way to go after it, then we can fulfill that need in a way that will bring life to our lives, all right? So we're going to kind of hone in on that today. Romans chapter 12, verses 5, it says this, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we are created to be in Christ, to be connected to Christ, but it says we belong, we actually belong to all the other members. Like 
I belong to you, you belong to me, you belong to the person across the room. We're part of a body of Christ. We actually belong to one another. What does this tell us about ourselves, right? Um, you don't technically belong to yourself. The Bible says actually you've been bought with a price, right? You belong to him. And so we're made for him, but we're also made for authentic connection and authentic community. And this is pretty counterculture, isn't it? Like, you know, I don't belong to myself. You know, to say I don't belong to myself, we, we, we're very American. We think all about ourselves, right? Like, it's my time. It's my money. It's my this, my that. But like Paul says in the Bible, we belong to one another. We're in a, in a body of Christ. We're supposed to be in a family that belongs to one another. And um, from time to time, um, I'm sure you people have encountered this, but from time to time you get a person that, you know, says like, do I really have to go to church to be, to have a relationship with Jesus? Like, um, can I, can I have a relationship with God and not go to church? And the short answer is yes. You can have a relationship with God and not come to church and not have authentic, close, intimate relationships. And you can go to heaven, all that good stuff without going to church. But I guarantee you that there are certain things that God has for you that you are missing out on by not being connected to other people. God has, um, there are certain things that God has for you that he doesn't give to you. He gives to someone else to give to you. He sets it up like that. Like, for example, um, if you need a a miracle in your life, or there's things I'm believing for, like, I don't care if you've been saved 20 minutes. If you feel like, hey, can I pray for you? I feel like I want to pray for this need. Unless you're a total weirdo and I don't trust you at all, like, I would probably say, yeah, pray for this need. Pray for that thing. Because honestly, it would be just like God to take someone who was saved for 20 minutes and hand them the breakthrough that I need, right? Why does he do that? He does that so that we are connected. He wants his kids to get, his, to get along. He wants his kids to be connected. And so... Um, Many times, God takes your breakthrough, he hands it to another person. He's Jehovah Sneaky, right? <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Ninsu. Whatever, you got it. Okay, thank you. Jehovah Sneaky, moving on. But God has set it up in such a way that we need to cross-pollinate. He's set it up such a way that it's supposed to be like a family. We're not supposed to be the lone soldier in Christ. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, when, when Paul, during Paul's conversion, um, Paul, the God divinely connected Paul to Ananias. So check this out. After the Lord revealed himself to Paul, um, Paul um, you know, Paul, Paul, why, why are you persecuting me? He falls on the ground. He can't see. And then he hears the Lord's voice say, go into Damascus and wait for what you must do. So Paul goes into Damascus. He's waiting. It's three days. He can't see. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. And, and this is what the Lord uh, speaks to Ananias. He says, Acts uh, chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come to his place, uh, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the holy people in Jerusalem. Previous in the chapter this, it was saying that Paul was breathing murderous threats to the saints. So like, and he had authority to breathe murderous threats to the saints. So like to persecute them and put them in jail. And so every, all the Christians are scared of Paul at this point. Verse 14, he has come here with authority from the chief uh, priest to arrest all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people um, of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, um, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you um, that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Okay, notice Paul's breakthrough to see again was placed in the hands of another believer. It is just like that many, many times with us. He's going to take your breakthrough, and he's going to place it in the hands of another believer. I can't tell you how many meetings or services or whatever where it's like, should I go to that thing? Should I go to that conference or whatever? And I'm kind of on the fence. And I go, and something so amazing happens. I'm like, I'm so glad. If I hadn't come to this, this thing wouldn't have happened to me. God wouldn't have spoken that thing to me. I wouldn't have gotten that prophetic word, right? He does that so many times. He uses the body of Christ. Why? Why does he do that? He wants us to be connected. He wants his kids to be connected. So he many times will put your breakthrough in the hands of someone else. I know, I know, um, People who hear the voice very clearly, prophets who they're constantly getting words for other people, have a high level of clarity for other people. They're constantly getting words. This is what the Lord's saying. It's like, boom, they're rocked. They're crying because they're getting their mail read, right? And then you ask them, like, what's going on with your life? I'm like, I don't know. God, God, God won't show me. Like, I can't see what my next step is. And like, have this ever happened to you? Like, you get words for someone else. You, it's all encouraging. The Lord's showing you about other people. And then all of a sudden in your own life, it's like, I don't even know what he's saying. Sometimes he does that. He, he, because he wants us to be connected to the body of Christ. He doesn't want us being the lone soldiers in Christ out there, not thinking that we need anyone, right? Because he wants us to get along. He, he wants his kids to get along, to cross-pollinate, and to be together. Um, <clears throat> again, many of you have encountered this in your lives, but um, the, the person who says, like, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be connected with people. I remember once I had a hospital visit. And um, there was a gal who was at the church that I was a part of, and she's in the hospital, and I go, I go to pray for her. And the, the family members, they were actually having, a, uh, she was having surgery. So I go, and there's other family members there, and there's a son-in-law there. And I kind of just naively was like, hey, what, what church do you guys go to? You know, I, I, I kind of just assumed everyone was serving the Lord and was Christian at that point. And this guy kind of starts on a little bit of a rant, but he's like, I don't need church um, I'm a good person. I mind my own business. Um, I get the peace of mind I need by being out fishing. You've all encountered this person. Maybe you've even been this person, right? Um, I get the peace of mind I need by being out fishing. I'm a good person. I mind my own business. Now listen, there's probably an aspect of God, that peace of mind that he is encountering and experiencing going fishing, right? Sometimes I'm hiking, running, working around the house, and like the Lord, like I'll have a moment with the Lord. Like, so that, that's totally valid. That totally happens. But you're not going to get the whole picture. You're not going to get the whole deal from that. You're not going to get the whole deal without being connected to some people. And this guy's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm a good person. I mind my own business. And I'm like, really? Like, the creator of the universe intricately wove you in your mother's womb with a plan, purpose, and destiny to mind your own business. <laughs> it's like, to be, to just kind of, I'm not causing any trouble. Like, I can just imagine God, like, intricately weaving you in your mother's womb. He's not going to cause any trouble. This is his high calling. High calling in life is to just mind his own business and not get in any trouble, right? 
That's what I wish I had said in that moment. But you know how you leave a situation and you think of all things you should have said, right? And so <clears throat> that's what I should have said. Um, but I thought about this like, okay, maybe you don't understand the church. You don't think you need the church. But what if the church needs you? For example, what if there's a kid in the youth group who's going through hell, who's struggling with suicidal thoughts, does not know which way is up, and he needs a mentor in his life. But you're over here minding your own business, right? You're over here minding your own business. Like, maybe it's not just about you, what you can get from the church. Maybe, it's a, maybe you're coming at this as a consumer. Maybe it's what you could actually give to the church. And there's actually joy and life and satisfaction in that. I'm glad you... Wow, I almost talked in the water bottle. I'm glad you guys clapped because I needed to open that bottle. How you doing? <laughs> I've, I've toyed with like, you know, the, the headset, because sometimes you have an illustration, it's better to have a headset. But maybe instead I'll do a handheld and then have a camel pack. And if I need a drink of water while I'm preaching, I'll just throw the camel pack up and take a little sip, you know? <laughs> that wouldn't be weird. You bring a friend to church, why does your pastor have a bulge underneath his shirt back there. It's kind of like a humpback. <laughs> so that guy, um, maybe it is, the point is that you have a gift that I need. I have a gift that you need. I don't carry like all the gifts in the church, right? Not even close. You have a gift that I need. I have a gift you need. Maybe the person sitting across from you has the gift that you need. God has set it up that way, divinely set up, so that we could cross-pollinate. We need each other. We need authentic community. So um, just to give a personal story in Emily and I's own life about how authentic community has been a big part of um, our success. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married 13 years, so that's a good amount of time. Um, 2005, we got married. And about three years into our marriage, I had a dream in my heart to be in full-time ministry, and I kept applying and trying these different things. About three years into our marriage, um, we got hired at uh, Res Church in Loveland um, to be the college and young adult pastors. And honestly, our ministry went really well, but I want to talk to you about our relationship, our marriage relationship. Um, my wife and I, we loved the Lord, and we had a relationship with Him, and we did great things together. We had never worked together, though. And we found out really quickly that we have different ideas about how things should be run. Like she mentioned her dad being a leadership guru, like he is. She was raised to be a leader, okay? She's not really a behind-the-scenes kind of woman. She's a, she has ideas, you know? <laughs> and I have ideas too, and they weren't always the same ideas. So, so she's not, you know, I want her gifts to shine, so I'm not trying to you know, push her down. But it's like, hey, I'm a charge. No, I'm a charge. No. That idea was bad. No, did you see how that went? You know, and so we go. We get into full-time ministry, and like we hadn't been in full-time ministry, and there were lots of insecurities. I had lots of insecurities. She had insecurities. We're butting heads. We have different ideas about what should be done. And at the time, we're the youngest. We're the youngest pastoral staff members, and so um, and we looked up to the other staff members. But about um, so we're butting heads like a lot. So our marriage immediately went from like pretty good to like good, but. We're butting heads a lot. So um, this is our introduction into ministry. So about six months, um, Trinity, Trinity was about six months old when we got hired. And about six months into being hired, um, 
my wife gets pregnant um, again, but unfortunately she has a miscarriage. And so we have to, we go through that whole um, big ordeal about miscarriage. For those of you that had a miscarriage, it's, it's terrible, it's hard, it's painful. And by the way, uh, a lot of people mean well when you have a miscarriage, but there are a few things you don't want to say. I'll give you an example. This is for free. Uh, don't say you'll have another one, okay? You're like, oh, the first one didn't matter. Okay, I'll have another one. Like, that's, that's probably not the most encouraging thing to say to someone. Or like, God just needed an angel. It's like, okay, God needed an angel, so he took my baby. Great. You know, there are certain things you don't say. Like, and I'll tell you what you could, one thing you can't say to people who are going through pain. Sometimes it's just awkward. You don't know what to say. One thing you just can say, I'm so sorry. I will be praying for you. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you're hurting. What can I do for you? Can we help? Can we bring meals? You know, just, just offer help. If you don't know what to say, don't, don't fish for like really bad things to say. But so we have that. And that was hard. On, that was, I, so I'm building a few things here. Some people, when they go through stuff, they're like marriage, they get so much closer. And <laughs> my wife and I started going through things and like we were, we started like, pulling apart the seams a little bit. Like, it wasn't really good for us. So we have a miscarriage. We bounce back from that, and we get pregnant with our second daughter, Evie, and I don't know how long we were pregnant with Evie, but we start to notice some developmental delays in our first daughter, Trinity. And so while we're pregnant with Evie, we find out that our first daughter, Trinity, we get this diagnosis that she's autistic. And so that's a huge blow. That's like a death of a dream because they, they would say things like, we don't know if she'll ever drive. We don't know if she'll ever get married. You know, we don't know if she'll ever live on her own, those kind of things. So there's like this death of a dream that happens. Extremely painful, right, the diagnosis. And so um, not too long after that, Emily starts getting pretty bad symptoms of endometriosis. And we're trying to have more kids and we're not able to have kids. So in an effort to have more kids, she, she goes through a surgery um, to try to correct some things. And um, after the surgery, they need to like shut her body down for a while. So they give her medications that basically throw her straight into menopause, like menopausal symptoms, right? So you, now, menopause is tough on any woman. Like, but normally, a woman who goes through menopause goes from, you know, healthy, normal, and then transitions to like, menopause, right? So, but when you take a medication like that, it goes from healthy to boom. And that is psychologically like hard on someone. So, so we go through this season where she's like going through depression. She's not a depressed person. My wife is not normally a depressed person at all. Um, and because of that, she starts having like suicidal thoughts. And she never thinks like that. She's never suicidal. She's never a depressed person. But all this happens, boom, at once. And again, some people bind closer and they, their marriage gets better. This was another thing that honestly was pulling, um, pulling on us really, really hard. It was during that time, our marriage, um, again, our ministry's doing pretty well. Like on the, on the outside, we're looking pretty good. Ministry's going well. But our marriage was actually suffering. Um, it, was, it was pretty hard. I'm, I mean, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, if she commits suicide, like I'm going to be, am I going to be a single dad with two kids? Like these kind of thoughts are going through my mind. And so the worst point, I would say, of, of that whole thing was, um, you know, she's having this depression, and we have, we're going to do premarital counseling with a couple. <laughs> and like an hour before this couple comes over, we have, a, we have a big blowout fight. It's bad, you know, and all this stuff is happening. About an hour before this couple comes over, I'm like, we're about to tell this couple how to have a great marriage and all this advice to have a great marriage. And ours is like not doing well right now. 
Like, talk about feeling like you feel like a pretty big hypocrite in that moment. Like, come on in, let's talk about communication and all this stuff. And like, <laughs> so, um, so during this time, this is, this is the craziest thing in the world. During this time, did we get counseling? No, we didn't get counseling. Did we reach out to people? No. Did we have close friends we could talk to? Honestly, most of our closest friends at that time were involved in our ministry. And so, like, because we got hired when we were, I was 27, so a lot of young adults, they were in our ministry, they were our friends, and I did not feel like that was a good, you know, people to talk to that were just having a hard time. Now, it was our own fault that we didn't reach out for help. But remember, we're insecure, so we're trying to prove to our family, our friends, our coworkers that we belong here and that we can do this ministry, right? And again, the ministry wasn't going terribly, but our marriage was going terribly. And so... Long story short, um, she gets off of the crazy pills, you know. We call them crazy pills now. And so that helped right away. Um, she kind of bounced back from some of that stuff. She gets off of the crazy pills. And um, um, long story short, our marriage actually starts to get better. So, um, and our marriage has been pretty good for about five years. But our marriage starts to get better gradually. And, um, and, you know, honestly, I've, I've detected a shift in the body of Christ where there used to be kind of more of a pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality, but there's a lot more emphasis now on like inner healing and wholeness and making sure like you're okay. Like it's not okay to have a great ministry and have no relationship with, you know, your kids. It's not okay to have a great ministry and your marriage to be shredded and falling apart. Like it's not okay. And like, it wasn't okay before, but like that became a bigger deal in the body of Christ. That was a really good thing. So less of this pull yourselves up by your bootstraps kind of mentality. But our marriage gradually got better. And then just a little a while back, we were kind of reminiscing. We're like, remember that season? That was really hard. Like, our marriage was messed up. Um, we were full-blown going in ministry. You know, we couldn't talk to anyone because we're whatever. You know, really stupid. And because uh, honestly, there were so many, like, great people that could have helped us. You know, but, you know, we had to keep this, keep it looking good on the outside. And we're like, what? What our marriage got better and it's great. What changed? Why is it great? Why was it so bad? And we're thinking, like, what was you know, the medication was one thing, but like it got better and better. Like, what was the thing that changed? Did it magically just get better? Like, what what was the shift? And and we both were talking about this the other day, and there was one major thing that we could point to that was the shift for us. And again, we we both got a little bit less insecure and and uh. We, we got a few more tools in our tool belt for marriage, that kind of stuff, but that wasn't really what changed it. There was one major thing that we could both point to um, that got us back on track. How many want to know what it is? All right, come back next week, because I'm out of time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> come back next week. Yeah, no. Um, this is what, this is the one thing that we can point to that changed. We actually were invited to join a small group with some other married couples that we weren't leading because <laughs> our whole life was pouring out in other people. We weren't leading this, the small group and none of them were involved in our ministry. And we got involved in that group. And honestly, I will, I will say honestly, like what happened in that place was um, we weren't in charge of the group. It wasn't people in our ministry. We became known and we became vulnerable. And we didn't even realize it, but we started taking the medicine that our marriage needed to turn around. We, we started taking the medicine that we actually needed to have a, a better marriage. And it was connection to other people in the same stage of life, other relationships that we desperately needed. And looking back, we would we both say this is the number one reason why our marriage got 
got better. We started turning things around. Honestly, at the time, I felt like we were invited to this group. I was like, I don't have time to go to a group, another group. Like, I'm busy. I'm a pastor. I'm busy. I'm doing ministry, right? I didn't feel like I have time. And when you go for the first time, it felt like kind of awkward, you know? Anytime you begin a relationship, it's like, this is kind of awkward. I don't really know these people. You know what I mean? It's like when you go, if you've never worked out, and then you get, like, I'm going to go get a gym membership. You go to the gym. Everyone there knows what they're doing, right? And you're like, this is, how does this thing move? People are watching me. There's one of those videos on, on like Facebook where someone's on a workout machine and they totally don't know what they're doing. Like, that's a bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's what it feels like at first when you're like in this in this group. I'm like, why are we doing this? This is I don't have time for this. I don't know what I'm getting out of this. But I can honestly point to those relationships as the number one contributor of us getting healthy and us getting better. We were around other people. We were able to just confess faults to one another, right? James says, confess your sins to one another, confess your faults to one another, that you may be healed. So we began to have relationships with people who we didn't have to pour into, didn't have to look great for, right? And they were able to do life with them. And, and sometimes we were ministering to people, sometimes they're ministering to us. It was a great thing for us. This is one of the major reasons why we want City Lights Church, one of our core values is to be a family. We want to have, and not just a family, an authentic family, a family of believers that's authentic with one another. Because when you're going through stuff, you can share things. You can talk to people. You can get prayer for things. And there's not shame, right? Like if you're, if you have a, listen, if you have a pornography addiction, you should not be going through that alone, right? If that's your struggle, don't do that by yourself. Like I guarantee you there's another guy here who would love to walk through that with you, would love to pray with you through that. And there's no condemnation. Like, they're going to believe the best for you. Amen? You shouldn't be going through that thing alone. But we find belonging and well-being in authentic community. And we were in community before, but her and I were not being authentic to the people around us. My encouragement to us as a church is we need to be authentic to the people around us. And I'm not saying wear your, everything on your sleeve to every single person, but make sure you have those. You know, there's only so much we can do in these rows. This is important. God comes in an amazing way when we're like this in a corporate setting, but there's something amazing when you get together with people who are Christians, who can encourage you, who know what you're going through, who can strengthen you, who can comfort you, who can encourage you. Amen? And so my question for you this morning is, what is the breakthrough? What is the breakthrough you need in your life right now? And is it possible that your breakthrough, your breakthrough, is in the hands of someone sitting across from you or sitting on the other side of the room? Is it possible that your hands, your breakthrough is in the hands of another person? Or is it possible, check this out, that someone else's breakthrough is in your hands, that God has given you the breakthrough for that other person? We need to think like that. Amen? And so, um, <laughs> minding your own business doesn't work in that case, right? Um, we shouldn't just live to mind our business. We should live to pour out, to, to love people, to be connected to other people, because that's where breakthrough comes. Amen? There's a couple scriptures that the, the Bible talks about, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, right? That's a good one. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. I could do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Um, recently, my wife and I were up, we were up um, camping and four-wheeling in the mountains. I got a flat tire. I'm on the side of the, this steep mountain trail, and I'm changing a tire. And there's several people that came by and like, hey, do you need any help? And I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't need any help. And I thought I didn't need help, but then I would hit a little snag. I'm like, actually, I could really use someone to do this or whatever. But I turned, like, several people away, and my wife was like, you know, these people are asking if you need help. Like, you just say you need help. Like, they're willing to help you. She's like, you know, like, the, the story, you know the story of the guy who he's, um, there's a flood coming, and he's like, God is my 
provider. God is my deliverer, right? And so I, just, I don't need anyone. I need God. There's a flood coming. So the fireman comes to his door, right, and says, there's a flood coming. He's like, no, God will save me, right? And a little bit later, the, the floods come and drown his house, and he's up on the roof, and a boat comes by and says, hey, hop in. We're here to save you. He's like, no, God will save me, right? You guys have heard this story. Then pretty soon, the whole house is flooded. Um, it's, it's coming up to the top. There's a helicopter that says, hey, jump in. We're going to save you. And he's like, no, God will save me. Don't worry. Then he, then he dies in the flood. He goes to heaven. And he asks God, like, God, I, I trusted you. I trusted you to save me. I trusted you to deliver me. And, and God is like, hey, I sent you a fireman, a boat, and a helicopter. And he didn't take it, right? And so in this, that situation, like, we're on the side of the road. Like, God sends people to help you. And many times we just don't take, like, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. But we don't think sometimes being more than conquered through Christ Jesus involves someone sitting next to us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What if the, God wants to answer that through another person, not necessarily you just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps all, all by yourself? He, sometimes he answers that prayer with another person, right? And I have faced many problems in my life bigger than me. That situation that Emily and I were going to, that problem was bigger than me. But that problem was not bigger than the community of believers that I had access to that I wasn't utilizing. And there's a lot of things you go through in your life, problems that are actually bigger than you, but there is no problem bigger than, than what God will provide through an authentic family of believers, right? And so just realize that. Like, his answer to prayer is connection with other people in authentic community. Amen? Yes. All right. Are we doing a closer? Let's do closer. Why don't you, worship team, come up. <clears throat> so that's my admonition. We are, we are a family. We find belonging and well-being in authentic community. We did this in, in ministry. We were, we were doing well, but our marriage was falling apart. I just want to encourage you. Like, you have access to people. You have access to people. Prayer counselors up here every week that want to pray with you. We're going to be kicking off small groups in the fall. Like, seriously, be part of one. If you've never been vulnerable, like, find a group of people, guys, whatever, girls that you can be vulnerable with. Like, God has called us. If you look at the, the, the church in the, um, the um, early church, they were all about community. And, like, our American thinking, we have to kind of break out of that. In other words, I'll say this. This is how you know you're doing it. I, I mentioned going to that group. It was awkward and uncomfortable. For this to work for you and you're not used to it, it's going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. It's like, like going to the gym. It's like, I'm sore, <laughs> right? I'm not used to this. Like, that's what you need to expect. But to break out of something that you're used to, you have to do something different, right? It'll feel, it'll feel weird to you at first. So let me pray over you. Father, I thank you for every individual in this room. God, I thank you that you are for us, Lord God. You're a good Father. You have good plans for our lives, Lord God. So I just lift up every person in this room, Lord God. And I thank you, God, for family, Lord God. I thank you that Jesus, this, this church to be a family. This wasn't just a dream in my heart, Lord God. I believe this is a dream in your heart, God. This is a dream in the heart of a lot of people that were here and needed a church like this, Lord God. So I just pray, God, that you would help us to model family, Lord God. And when people walk through those doors who don't know the Lord, who don't have relationship with you, God, they would see something genuine. God, they would see something powerful, something they can be part of, Lord God, because we're known by our love for one another. And they would see that genuine family of affection, Lord God. And so I just bless... Um, I bless them with that today. In Jesus' name, amen.